Welcome back to Studs. I'm Daniel Lazar. Studs explores and honors working. It also honors the life's work of the oral historian and legendary Chicago radio host, Studs Turco. And in my effort to close the social distance, Studs gives me a chance to check in with good, hardworking people. I'd like to think these are my people. And take a deep dive into what they do for a buck. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. If you're a loyal listener and you like to do your part to support independent creators, please consider supporting Studs. I got a Patreon page. It's over at patreon.com backslash studs. Link to it in the show notes for you. Look, I'm committed to keeping Studs free for you and for everyone. And I'm not here to pressure you to drop your hard-earned bucks on this podcast. But if you dig the podcast and you want to do your part to keep it going, there are some pretty cool rewards for you over at the Patreon page. It's at patreon.com backslash studs. And if the time isn't right for you to donate to studs, I get it. We're good. But it would mean a lot to me if you could just tell a pal or two about this podcast. Maybe you could recommend an episode or two that they would love. You don't got to twist their arms, but you could do your part. You might want to share this one because this is uh, this is me in conversation with my brother. Yeah, you know, it was high time to get my big brother on the podcast. Brad Lazar is a financial advisor whose advice, I must confess, I've been ignoring to my own detriment. Brad helps teachers like me to plan for their financial futures. To do this, he has to negotiate with his clients the sensitive, triggering topics of money and this ominous thing we call the future. But mostly Brad talks about his role as an educator himself, empowering other educators to help decent, hardworking teachers feel secure in their futures. Look, obviously I've known this fella here forever, but we never really engaged in his work life in a concentrated way. It was a real pleasure for me, and I'm certain it will be a pleasure for you. So here it is, my friends. My dive into the working life of Brad Lazar. Brad Lazar, welcome to Studs. How do you describe what you do? I'd love to share that with you, Dan. But just before I do, my legal department says I got to read you something super exciting. No! So I hope this I hope this makes your day. <laughs> Sit tight for 10 seconds here. I'm going to ramble through this because they make me do it. And it goes something like this. Okay. I offer securities through Equitable Advisors, LLC, New York, New York. Phone number 212-314-4600. Member of FINRA SIPC, known as Equitable Advisors in Minnesota and Tennessee. Investment advisory products and services offered through Equitable Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Annuity insurance products offered through Equitable Network, LLC. Retirement Benefits Group is a specialized division of Equitable Advisors, LLC. Individuals may transact business and or respond to inquiries only in the state in which they are properly qualified. I know that made your day. And it'll make your listeners' day, I'm sure, as well. But if I uh, go back like 30 seconds, I believe your question was, uh, how do I describe what I do? Please and thank you. And I would uh, jump into that by saying, as a financial planner, I help educate uh, my clients to understand their financial situation, um, set financial goals, and then help them figure out and implement solutions to help them reach their goals. It's everything from retirement savings goals, buying a house, college savings, protecting their families, uh, lots of different things that I'm sure you'll inquire about throughout our time here together today. Now you can count on that. You and I grew up in the same house. We ended up on very different paths. How did you get on this particular career path? How did you become a financial planner? And it is noteworthy that we survived living in that house Hardly. together and still talk to one another. <laughs> That's uh, amazing yeah. in and of itself. But that said, you know, I, I, I really fell into this role by luck. Back in 2000, the internet days when uh, every dot-com company was going to be a, the next, uh, you know, Microsoft and Apple, 
Um, I actually worked for a really small startup internet company, got laid off because that company folded back in 2000. And my girlfriend at the time, now wife, Michelle, was a teacher and her financial advisor. I met at a charitable event that we attended together. He said, hey, why don't you give me a call? Here's my card. I hesitated to call him. I didn't want to be in this industry. I'd had a bad experience with a friend who had uh, hit me up trying to sell me life insurance back in the day. She took me to lunch and was like, hey, you need a million dollar policy. And I'm like, well, why? I'm living at home with my parents and I have a dog, <laughs> but nobody to protect. And uh, so I didn't have a great experience you know, dealing with financial service people. So I hesitated to call him. And now I finally did at Michelle's urging. And uh, here we are 18 years later. Uh, love what I do and passionate about what I do. And uh, that's how I got into this, as I joke, a, a mess. So you've been doing it for 18 years. And if you don't mind my saying, you have been remarkably successful. You are literally in the Financial Advisors Hall of Fame. What makes you so good at this? I think that I, I lucked out from the beginning that I had a, a terrific uh, hiring manager turned mentor turned friend who I do triathlons and things with now. I mean, he was a great role model and a great leader to develop talents at the time. Um, as far as personal traits or characteristics that I think have helped me along the way, um, is I'm sure you would agree. I, I tend to be extremely organized. Yeah. Um, some people joke that I'm, uh, and have used the term anal, uh, which may not be the best from a professional standpoint, but I think is an accurate depiction. <laughs> um, but I think the, the biggest thing is I love educating my clients. Um, I've always considered myself one who likes to break down complex financial topics and help people understand them. And I think my ability to relate in that manner, um, I think has really helped me to become successful, not only in, in the industry, but in, in the marketplace that I service as well, which is the, the K-12 uh, educational marketplace where a lot of my clients and their families stem from. So I definitely want to dive more into that. But before I do, can we just put a pin in this thing really quick? Like you, I'm interested in education, and like you, I have been the beneficiary of some real top-notch mentors. Can you take a ride in the Wayback Machine and share with me something that you learned from your mentor, oh, these many years ago? I've always been told that it's a marathon, not a sprint. The financial services industry in general suffers from tremendous turnover in the early years. Uh, most advisors who try and enter the business might only be there one, two, three years at best. And I forget the actual metrics, but I want to say it's something like 20% survive, you know, like four or five years or longer. So the chances of success in the industry for whatever reason, isn't that tremendous. One of the things that was instilled in me from the beginning was to always take the long-term view on the career and that whatever happens day to day, whether you, you know, have a great day and, and meet a bunch of new clients or whether you have a day where, you know, maybe you didn't, you know, meet as many taking into account the long view and sticking with it and staying organized and just keeping at it, I think made me successful. And so I really like talking to you. I do. I really don't like talking about money. You've been in it for the long haul. You really like talking about money. Before we do it a whole lot, what do you like about that? Part of it is just a, a passion and a willingness to help clients come to those aha moments where they, where they get it all of a sudden. Um, they may not love it, they may not love the outcome or the discussion or saying you're on track or not on track, but you know, the clients who are, who are sensitive about money, really, it's just, they don't, it's because they don't know what to do or what to ask or, or what steps to take to better their situation by being able to educate them, helping them walk through what their goals are and providing them with different solutions, different alternatives to reach those goals. I think helps quell some of the, uh, you know, apprehension they may have over dealing with monetary topics. 
So is that the case then that indeed what you love about it most is that you have the opportunity to educate people and to empower people and to help focus people? Because if so, then you and I coming from the same house actually don't have such different paths at all. You know, the approach is certainly one that's educational and I I love seeing them have those aha moments. But at the end of the day, I know that they're better off because we had a conversation to get them to better their situation. And and so I can sleep at night knowing that, you know, I've helped people over the last 18 years to to do that. So you're a coach and you're an educator and you have to explain a lot of pretty complex things. You offer a vast array of financial products. Now, without diving into a laundry list, what are the primary financial products that you work with most? You know, retirement, tax-efficient investing strategies, education savings, you know, or protection needs, which is a a big one that's often overlooked, things like life insurance and long-term care insurance, which you and I can certainly share stories about um, from our family. You work with your clients on matters of retirement and long-term care, college investment for their kids, life insurance and the like. How does an average workday start for you? What time you roll out of bed and what do you do when you finally get yourself engaged in your work? Yeah, as I get older, I feel like I get up earlier and yeah. earlier. The alarm is set for five, you know, get up and try and get a, a workout in. It, it depends in many cases on the time of year, because I do a lot of work in the in the public education marketplace. Um, I'm often meeting with clients at their at their schools, you know, at seven between seven and eight a.m. before their workday starts. You know, while they have breaks in the day, their lunches or their prep times, we often utilize to address their employer benefits, and then after school, you know, and into the evening sometimes as well, depending what their needs are. About what proportion of your clients are school teachers seeking advice on their financial futures? I mean, 90% probably of my, of my clients are from the educational profession, but I would extend that to say, you know, their families come into play too, because the offer is always to the client, look, you know, we've got your employer benefit. I'll help you get that set up and get you, you know, on the right path towards savings you know, before we do that, why don't we connect with you and your spouse and let's talk about the bigger picture. You know, what are your goals? So many clients joke, I wish I could retire yesterday, you know, sure. Understood. You know, how do we help you and your spouse and your family get into the financial position that they need to? So I would imagine that a lot of uh, our listeners here have the impression that teachers are pretty well taken care of, right? They have reasonably good salaries, at least in the market that you're reaching out to, and they have better than average retirement benefits. Why is it particularly important for teachers and public sector workers to be mindful of their retirement? I might, you know, offer that in many cases, even those in the educational world don't understand how their state pensions work. Um, they don't understand, you know, the intricacies of it. And, and in Illinois, at least, the state pension has some some challenges in funding. And there's been a number of proposals and even changes that have been made that have reduced what their pension will be when they retire. So the question, once again, becomes understanding those and not making an assumption that they're in a great financial picture, but making sure that they are. Because the reality is when you, when you put the pen to the paper, depending when they anticipate retiring, depending which pension system they're in or which tier of the pension system, they may not be in the position that they want to be. And they may be surprised if they end up retiring and haven't done any planning that their pension may not be what they anticipated. So I think there's always a an opportunity there to make sure that they're on the right track. And if they are and I can't help them, I'll be, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. You, you don't need me. That's okay. Um, you know, you're doing the right things. You've got it all nailed down. But for the majority of those that I interact with, 
they're not aware of some of the pitfalls uh, that lack of financial planning and lack of understanding of the pension might bring. And that's where I can come in and, and help them. I'm kind of interested in how you get these relationships started. Like, what's it like to walk into a school to reach out to new clients? One of the great things about our, our company is that we've had a, a focus on the educational K-12 market dating back to 1980. It's a division of our company that has created relationships with public schools all over the country that allow us to have access to their staff to educate them on, on these types of matters. So from the standpoint of, you know, walking into a school, I'm, I'm always there to meet with somebody specific. Um, but what we often find is that they appreciate the time that we've taken with them and what we do, that they introduce us to their colleagues. Uh, many of them are, are mentors uh, for newer staff, and they tend to encourage the newer staff to get started on some form of retirement plan. So it's a it's a win win. You feel like a pretty popular guy when you're walking down the hallways. You know, some days I, I barely even get to the client that I'm supposed to see. You know, we have a, I work by appointment, and you know, sometimes I get stopped so much in the hallway just for quick updates or or you know to chit chat and just catch up that I barely make it to the meeting I'm scheduled to be there for. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's man. fun being Mr. Popularity every once in a while. Very much unlike high school when you were in it. Yeah, we won't we won't <laughs> try and go back to the high school days. It's uh, 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 uh it was it was awful for most of us. Um how I ended up spending my professional <laughs> path in the high school is another story altogether. So you go into these high schools and a lot of what you're doing is uh, checking in with clients that you have and, you know, kind of fine tuning what they're doing and maybe adding some opportunities for them. I guess I kind of wonder what the first consultation with you looks like. Do you have like an opening bit? Do you have a way that is common to most of your initial consultations? Yeah, I think it it depends on a couple of of factors. Um, you know, first, I think for existing clients who I'm meeting with, you know, I always pose to them that you know meeting with me is like going to the doctor. You know, nobody really wants to do it, but you know you should. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, for your for your checkup, and it's not on your bucket list to do, but you know you got to get it done, and we try and make it as painless as possible. So um, we're always trying to instill in them that it's important for us to connect every once in a while. You know, for the prospective client who maybe I'm meeting for the, the first time, our meeting is oftentimes limited by the, the time structure of that period of their day, whether it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or, you know, the high schools tend to have a little bit, you know, more 45, 50 minutes for a period. But the consultation is really about getting to know them. What are their goals? What's their, what's their knowledge and background in, in financial planning? Um, understanding if they understand their pension and, and what the future holds for them. You know, what are their aspirations? Do they intend on staying in education? You know, is it something they're passionate about? Do they plan on moving up the administrative, you know, ranks within the, the school systems? Do they tend on getting out of education altogether? Really just kind of getting to know them. And then for many of them, they understand even going into our meeting, the need to save additionally for retirement beyond the pension. They, they've heard of, you know, in the public schools, it's called the 403B, which is you know, same thing as a 401k, really just for the, for the public education sector. They know the need to do it. They just haven't had somebody walk them through the process and the education to get them going. So, you know, first meeting, I'll have, you know, some of that rapport building. And then depending on the time frame, if, it, if they're like, look, I just, I know I need to get this started. Help me to do that. Uh, if time permits, you know, we'll help them get their, their plan started there, or we'll schedule another time to get together to to walk them through how investments work and, uh, you know, help educate them further on, on the process and help get them started. I get the sense that in order for you to do your work well, in order for you to give appropriate financial advice, that you really take pride in getting to know your clients as people, because without that without understanding who they are and what their goals are, 
what their what their vision is for their futures, you can't appropriately advise them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think like like any relationship, you know, in life, whether it's a, a family member, spouse, you know, friends. I mean, it, it's it's about having a relationship and, and communicating and a mutual respect and and trust. If I were to go in there and just say, here, sign here, that probably wouldn't go over very well, where A, they probably wouldn't do that. And if they did do that, they might regret doing that. So I think taking the the time, you know, to get to know them, you know, builds that rapport and, you know, helps set up a, a positive relationship and success for them for the for the future. I hate to ask, but I have to ask, since it is a relationship. And despite the fact that most teachers are good, decent, hardworking people, you know, there's also a lot of bitter, angry teachers in the world. Do you sometimes have to interface with clients who you simply don't enjoy being around? If there's somebody who I meet in the beginning who I'm like, you know, maybe this isn't the right relationship for you or I don't. I don't think that their communication pattern with me is going to be successful in working together. I'll, I'll try and coach them out of our relationship. I mean, we don't have to work together. Um, it has to be, it has to be mutual for it to work. Yeah. I guess I kind of wonder because even teachers who are good people and they're nice people, People can be really sensitive about money. It's like a trigger for a lot of us. And I think that might be particularly true because a lot of teachers feel underpaid and undervalued. And so discussions about money, you know, really do in fact trigger them. So in your effort to pave a path to financial security, you really have to deal with some of the insecurities of clients. And I know that on some level, you care about them and you want to coach them. So I wonder, like, in trying to help people plan for their financial futures, how do you quell their insecurities, their sensitivities, and their anxieties? I would I would say it goes back to clients wanting to know that they're doing the right thing and they want to work with somebody who can break it down for them and explain to them where they're at. I mean, we have a, a process and and tools, which I won't bore you or your audience with (laughs) to analyze a client's financial position by being able to show them you know, here's where you're at. Here's where you told me you want to be. Here's some things you can do to get there. They now understand that there's steps, be it how small or large, they can take to get to where they want to be. So I, I guess my experience is, is not as much insecurity or sensitivity about money as it is that they just don't know what to do. They don't have to be the expert on what mutual fund to pick. You know, that's my my job is to guide them. They just have to understand that it's important for them that they start saving, you know, whatever it is that they can afford, whether they're putting away $25 a paycheck or, you know, they're putting away $500 a paycheck towards their future. It, it's important to get started and take those actionable steps that are going to put them in a better position. And then also it's, it's not a one-stop, you're only going to interact with me once type of relationship. This is something where even once we have that first meeting and whatever steps we take, I mean, my job is to help clients monitor what they do over time and update that plan and say, okay, well, now here's where you're at and now here's what you can do to, to change things. So they want somebody to, I'll use the term, hold their hand you know, through the process. And I think once they realize that somebody is available to them to do that, uh, which is what I do, you know, some of those insecurities and sensitivities go away. How do you get clients 
to trust you? I know that the questions seem to go back to it, but I think the educational approach demonstrates a certain knowledge and ability that shows that you can help them and that builds that trust. I would also say that, and especially now because I've been doing this for so long, and because of the relationships our firm has built with various school systems, I mean, we have a a reputation, I, I guess you could say, kind of going in that people are like, hey, you know, the guy from Equitable Advisors is going to be here. You should meet him. So some of that is is because we have those relationships already where, you know, those who I'm meeting for the first time maybe are, you know, less sensitive about sharing information and more trusting of, of the process. But then once we get into the process, I, I guess I would say, I hope I earn, earn their trust, you know, by the process that we go through. I'm really happy to hear that you're able to cultivate these trusting relationships with your clients and they have every reason and every right to trust you. And I like the beginning of your response. And I think that you're right that so much of this conversation goes back to what you and I share. And I have to concede that until our discussion today, I didn't realize that we shared this. And that's that we both really care about educating others. And you've brought it up a couple of times. So let's maybe dive into it if you're open to it. Can you talk a little bit about your philosophy of education as it pertains to empowering your clients to make prudent financial decisions? Yeah, I, I have so many clients that in some part of the conversation just openly admit, even on an unsolicited basis, that they have no clue about financial matters. I really try and put on the put on the kid gloves and say, listen, let me walk you through what a stock is, what a bond is, what a mutual fund is. And you may not remember it in the morning, and that's okay. But for purposes of our conversation, you know, we'll draw it out and say, here's the different types of things you can do in a retirement discussion, for example the different types of investments you can hold, pros and cons of each one, the risks of each one. I always joke too, I mean, you the movies from the 80s, the 80s about the stock market, you know, and you see guys behind the screen sitting there all day looking at, at different charts and graphs and, and numbers of the stock market. That is not me. That's not my passion. That's not what I love doing. Uh, we have people that do that for us. You know, my role is to be in front of the client and educate them and build that relationship and then help them get to where they, they want to be. That's, that's the approach and the educational approach is really just one of, of kid gloves and taking the time to explain complex terms in a non-complicated way that I think, uh, you know, helps put them at ease and, and creates that trust. So you meet them where they're at as it pertains to their level of education on financial products. But you also meet them in their homes, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Like you literally meet them where they're at. What's it like to show up at a client's home, you know, at six or seven o'clock on a Tuesday night to talk investments? It's it's fun, especially the clients that, you know, walk in and they're like, hey, you want a beer? Please and thank like, you. Mm, okay. Can't turn that down. Yeah, a glass of wine. I always love the the hospitality. But I, I think in those situations, in those types of meetings, it tends to be a broader conversation because now it's not just a meeting with them at school and just talking about their employer benefit, but now we're including their spouse. Sometimes we're including their their kids. If they have teenage kids, their kids will sit with us, you know, to learn about investing. Would you be willing to share a story of sitting at the dining room table with a family, you know, parents and kids and talking to them about their financial state and their financial ambitions? Yeah, I, I had a teacher at school who said, look, I've never saved anything for retirement. My spouse does okay in the private business world. You know, we know it's probably a good idea to do something. Can you come meet us at our 
you know, in our house and they live five or 10 minutes from, from where I live. So I met him at their house, ends up, he's got a, a job that he does, you know, pretty well in the, in the IT industry. You know, he had a bunch of assets from different places, but no one ever talked to him about managing them and he wasn't exactly sure what he was doing. They then invited their kids, uh, I believe that a 17 and a 19 year old, if I recall correctly, you know, they came to talk to us and, and they made them sit down with us and they said, look, kids, you know, Brad's going to talk to us about, you know, retirement saving and kind of getting on the right path. You know, this is something you guys should consider as well, because there's options available for, you know, for them to begin saving even at such a young, a young age. So we, you know, we walk through the conversation and we gather all their information about, you know, what their goals are, you know, what retirement looks like for them. Are they going to be traveling the world or are they going to be sitting at home all day watching Oprah reruns? <laughs> um, you know, what, what do they, what do they want that lifestyle to look like? You know, talked about their current lifestyle and their expenses versus their incomes and how that, you know, potentially changes going into retirement. And then, you know, talk to the kids as well about their futures and opportunities for them that, you know, even though they're working part-time jobs and going to school, you know, there's different types of, of retirement things that they could start at a young age that uh, would benefit them as well. So it was a, it was a pretty neat family meeting, you know, around the kitchen table. Yeah. You know, we took that information, you know, back to the office and put it into to the back computer, as I call it, to do that analysis for them and, you know, met with them again and help them implement some strategies that are going to help them to, to do what they want to do. Is it particularly challenging talking to people about how they envision their lives when they're in their 70s, 80s, and 90s? Like, right, you have clients who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and you ask them to draw a picture of what their lives might look like or what they hope their lives will look like in 30, 40, 50 years. Can you talk to me about some of the challenges of doing that? Yeah, most of us don't think beyond, you know, what we're going to make for dinner tonight. Um, Guilty as charged. Yeah, myself included in, in many ways. So I was 30 years old when I came into the business, but naturally I still gravitated towards younger educators and getting them started while those younger educators now are now having families, you know, putting their kids through college. And now they're, they're coming up to that point in their, you know, in their forties or so that they're like, Oh, I should probably really give some more thought to what that lifestyle is going to be. You know, at a young age, you're not really thinking about what you want to do. And in many cases that doesn't hit you until you're like, you know, 50 and somebody says, well, you know, what are you going to do? You know, what do you want it to look like? So, you know, we, we try and find out, you know, and, and just have a conversation about what they like to do. You know, many clients love traveling. That's a, that's a common, a common one. Um, some clients have family in other, other states. And even though they live in, you know, Illinois, they intend on moving to a lower cost of living area of the country. So those are some factors that might play into the discussion. But that's also why we make a point of helping them monitor what they do over time and constantly having the conversations because at some point it's going to click with them that, you know, you know, they were 25, maybe when I first interacted with them, you know, now they're starting to think about it over time as they see their parents retire and have challenges, you know, whether it be financially or health challenges that begin to shape their outlook of what retirement looks like. But, you know, you and I as, as younger kids never really thought about it. And now that we see our parents going through those types of things, it makes us in our forties here think, well, hmm, what, what should that look like for me? Do I want to be in that position? So my plan actually is to charm you on the podcast so much so that I could just ride your economic wherewithal all the way to the bitter, painful end. Is that a prudent financial plan or are there other things I might need to do? <laughs> you know, you're, you're in a unique situation too, where, you know, where you're at in your life and, and whatnot. And I can absolutely help you, Dan. I'd be, I'd be happy to have the brotherly conversation. So Brad, you were talking about 
showing up at clients' homes at night and meeting with their families and walking them through their short, medium, and long-term plans. You also said you're up at five o'clock in the morning showing up at schools an hour or two before school starts to meet with clients. I'm looking at the bookends, I'm doing the math, and it sounds like you're putting in potentially you know, 16 hour days. Sounds like a lot. Can you talk about the hours that you keep and the challenges that you face in keeping those hours? You know, starting out, I was, you know, it was 24 seven, you know, it was nights. It was, I'd reach out to clients on a Saturday morning or a Sunday night, um, just to touch base with them and, and perhaps schedule, you know, a meeting for the week, you know, whereas, whereas now, um, you know, we reach out to clients regularly and I have staff that helps manage my time as well. I have two terrific uh, assistants, Nicole and Lauren, who, you know, really do the brunt of the administrative work and, and help with appointment scheduling so that some of the tasks that I spent time on in the earlier days are ones I can delegate out today. So, you know, my my business has evolved to, you know, the only people really I talk to are uh, you know, existing clients to update their plans. And frankly, that's what I love doing. So works out well, you know, to be in the position that I'm in here 18 years later. It has worked out well for you. And I am heartened by how well it has indeed worked out. You're in your mid forties. I hope you don't mind my saying, and you're in the position both because of hard work and because of your prudent financial decisions to retire really soon if you want to. You could be one of those people who manages to retire in his early 50s. You could probably retire now if you you want to. And that's awesome. And I'm happy for you in that way. But I'm hoping you might be able to put this together for me. You really seem to care about what you do. You like it. And you also could retire from it real soon if you'd like to. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you feel about that? About being able to retire? And stopping doing something that you really like to do. Yeah. Developing relationships and educating people and supporting others to help them. You know, I've, I've asked myself and I've had this conversation with a lot of friends lately as we go through this, you know, middle life discussion of if we weren't doing what we were doing, you know, what, what would we want to do? And I, I have a tough time answering that question. I, you know, I love what I do. I love working with the clients. It's a job, frankly, that, you know, I could keep forever because even, even as I grow older in, in the business, I mean, my clients are still going to be there needing guidance. Their kids and families are still going to need guidance. So if that relationship is there, I can help generations within a family better their financial position. So, you know, while I might not work 70 hours a week, like I did when I started, you know, there's a, there's two guys that are in our office that are in their eighties and day to day, they still go out and meet with clients, you know, come to the office every single day. And they just, they love doing it. Um, I don't know that I want to be 80 doing that <laughs> yeah. per se. Um, so that might be an extreme example, but I can certainly see myself doing this for, for a long time. And, and really there's no, there's no need to retire. Um, you know, if you love what you're doing, you know, why, why stop doing it? Well, I'm thrilled to hear that you love it. And I'm hoping you might be able to paint a picture of why you love it. Can you paint a picture of a satisfying work day? Like, what does it look like? And what does it feel like when everything is just kind of humming along? From a, from a daily structure perspective, I tend to thrive on being busy. So if I see my calendar full of, of appointments, that makes me happy because it means I get to talk to the people that I like to talk to, which are my clients. I mean, aside from talking to clients, I would say there's there's two areas. One's positive. One might have a, a negative slant to it, but I think is I would consider satisfying. 
Um, you know, we talked earlier about the educational component. We've talked a lot about that here today of my job. And, and I, I love seeing the client who has that aha moment. You know, they're like, oh, wait a second. I get it now. You know, I'm, I'm better off and more understanding of what I need to do because I've talked to you. And, th- and that's, a, that's a question that I tend to ask clients at the end of our conversations is, you know, what did you learn today? Was it, you know, was it helpful for us to even have this conversation? Um, and when they have that aha moment and they can relay back to me some of the important things that we talked about, I think, is a, a very satisfying experience. I think the other side of it, and this is a, you know, this is a tough one to talk about, but part of my job, particularly on the life insurance side of things, is delivering checks when a client passes away. Oh. And I will tell you, the very first life insurance case that I wrote, it was a teacher. I got a call from her mom that she had been killed in a drunk driving accident. She was getting onto I-94 up here. Oh, no. And uh, and was killed by a drunk driver. Well, just a year or two earlier, and I, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. I mean, I brought my manager with me because I'm like, okay, she was a single mom. I know she needs life insurance, but I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? And I brought my manager with me. And it was the first life insurance policy that I ever sold. And it was a $250,000 policy, which may sound like a lot of money, but in today's world, not so much. And I got a call from her mom who lived, uh, I believe it was towards the Madison area. It was a couple hours away from, from where, where I live. And I remember that, you know, my manager and I, you know, when I got the call, I called him and I go, look, I don't know what to do. You know, I got this call. My client died. You know, I, I have no clue what's going to happen. And he walked me through it and, and we went out, we drove two hours to meet with the family to do the paperwork and to deliver a life insurance check. You know, this was a younger teacher and her mother, the grandmother in this case of, of the kid, had to stop working so she could take care of, of the kid. Well, because we were able to, to sell her a life insurance policy, it afforded her the opportunity to do that. And it was satisfying that, you know, we did the right thing to protect, you know, to protect her family, to protect her kid and to give them some financial resources that her parents now can, you know, help raise her child since, uh, since that unfortunate accident occurred. So there's a, a strange satisfaction in being able to, to deliver on a promise to know that you you know, you did the right thing and, and putting them in the right product that uh, in an odd way benefited them. Man, Brad, that does sound satisfying. And I think it really brings to light all of the efforts that you make towards educating people and trying to lead them in the right direction. And I would hazard to guess if I asked you to tell 10 such stories or more, you probably could And that must have been, despite how challenging, I'm sure it was, a satisfying chapter in your long, successful career. But I know there's another side to it. And I know that there must be a grind in this whole thing. What is the biggest grind of being a financial advisor? Like, What's the most frustrating part? And how do you deal with that? Let, let me ask you this, Dan. If your doctor called you and just left a simple message and says, I need to talk to you, what action would you take? I would call him back. Absolutely. No question, right? Now, I don't, I don't put myself on a high horse, you know, that I'm as important as a doctor. But I think if I were to call a client and we have difficulty getting in touch, people are busy. They're pulled in all directions. But I think one of the challenges that I face and, and a frustrating part really is, is just finding ways to engage clients to make sure that they're okay, to make sure that their plans are okay, you know, that we're up to date on their on their life and giving them the best possible advice. You know, I, I always joke, you know, like, well, we're managing your money. You know, you might want to talk to us every once in a while. <laughs> that, that's a that's a challenge that we face. 
the great part is that when we do ultimately get in touch with them, we have meaningful conversations and, uh, you know, that's good for everybody. Well, you're good at meaningful conversations and you're good at telling stories. And we here at the Studs podcast, we like stories. And if you would be so kind, could you please tell the story of a professional triumph and a professional failure? And can you start with the failure so we can end on a note of triumph? Professional failure. I knew you were going to ask this question too. It's never happened. Why don't I think of that one ahead of time? Perhaps you've, you've never failed. Maybe it's just impossible for you because like every good Lazar boy, your life is just nothing but one splendid success after the next. I, I mean, look, I, I think that sometimes for me, I'm so passionate about what I do that in talking to clients, that passion sometimes can be over the top, you know, that positivity sometimes can rub somebody the wrong way. So I think it's important to figure out how to channel that, that energy and that passion. I got you, man. I've had similar experiences. Temper that challenge you face with a story of success. You know, I, I love what I've done. I, I have, I'm running the marathon, you know, not thinking of it as a, as a short term, but as a long-term career you know, what a great experience it's been, how many, how many people's lives, even if it's just a small way have been able to, you know, to impact them. So that's something that I embrace as a success every day, you know, and and look forward to, to that continuing. It's worth embracing. I'm real happy for you. And this conversation has brought to light how committed you are to helping other people and you know, you and I, it turns out, both have chosen careers that give us opportunities to do so. And I'll be damned, yours just happens to pay 10 times more. I find that <laughs> terribly frustrating. Do you, do you mean to tell me that I ha- could have committed my life to education and empowering people and, and managed to retire at 50? Foiled again. But really, um, congrats, man. That's that's great to hear that you've been running the marathon, that you learned early on that that's what you were running, and that you get to enjoy some of the glory of that. Yeah, it's absolutely been a tremendous, tremendous ride, and I, you know, I look forward to to what's ahead and and helping people who who want to be helped. It's mutually beneficial. There's no there's no question about it. Awesome. I love stories of symbiosis. And so yours is one of those. But I can't let you leave without recommending a guest I should pursue. It could be a a person that you know, or perhaps just a profession that you'd like to learn more about. Bradley Harris Lazar, who do you recommend for this Studs pod? Well, Daniel Aaron Lazar, I am shocked, but I've listened to all of your podcast and thoroughly enjoy them uh as well done as they have been i I don't recall you having interviewed an an educator i'd be curious to hear from somebody who's been in the education world for 20 years you know how they perceive education having changed over the years and how they see that you know going into the into the future Um, I think would be an interesting topic. You are right, Brad. I have plenty of access to educators and I have plenty of interest in the subject. So much so that the reason you haven't heard me speak with an educator on the podcast yet is because I have a vision of a season of educators on the Studs podcast. I have this idea where I will begin with an early years educator and then walk the listener through to some of the most distinguished professors in the academy. And along the way, talk to school nurses and guidance counselors and admissions officers and exam developers and the like. So 
you can, my dear brother, rest assured that if you want to hear from educators, I'll give you a, a full mouthful of that. Brad, thank you so much for being willing to participate in this fledgling experiment with me. I'm really grateful that you were able to make the time and that you offered thoughtful responses to my questions and that you shared with me what you do for work. And that makes me really happy. You make me happy. Thanks for being on the podcast. Love you, buddy. Love you, buddy. Take care. Well, kids, that's me and my big brother. How about that, huh? I hope you liked it. If you did, go subscribe, leave a review. And if you dig what you hear, tell a friend or two. And if studs mean something to you and you have the chance to throw a couple of shekels at this project, go over to the Patreon page. That's patreon.com backslash studs. Thanks for tuning in. I look forward to catching you next time. Please take care. I offer securities through Equitable Advisors, LLC, New York, New York, phone number 212314-4600, member of FINRA SIPC, known as Equitable Advisors in Minnesota and Tennessee, investment advisory products and services offered through Equitable Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor, annuity and insurance products offered through Equitable Network, LLC, Retirement Benefits Group is a specialized division of Equitable Advisors, LLC. Individuals may transact business and or respond to inquiries only in the state in which they are properly qualified.